Well, welcome to the next edition of Business Law Focus. It's an absolute pleasure to have Ashlyn Perimol with us today, who's a partner in the corporate and M&A practice at global firm Baker McKenzie, obviously based in Johannesburg. But the interesting thing is Perimol has just returned from a fellowship at the World Economic Forum's Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution in San Francisco. Um, and now this is a really important initiative. He's also part of the blockchain and the digital currency currency working group um, and they're conducting research on the international legal and policy considerations surrounding central bank digital currencies also price stabilized cryptocurrencies which are called stable coins and they're focusing very much on regulatory gaps consumer protection and privacy in this space so obviously ashton is coming from you know, the nucleus of where all of this is happening. A lot of talk in South Africa at the moment of tightening up regulations around crypto because we've had a lot of fraud there. So, um, Ashton, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, great having you um, on the show. Thanks very much for that introduction, Evan, and thanks for having me. So tell us a bit about this World Economic Forum Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Um, how did that come about and, and how did you find it? Must have been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, Evan, I'm a transactional lawyer who focuses on technology acquisition. And so being close to emerging, emerging technology projects, it kind of makes you keenly aware of the new developments that continue to impact the world, especially emerging economies. Um, so I read the World Economic Forum's 2018 paper on the 4IR in South Africa and realized there was a deep insight needed for emerging market and the emerging market ecosystem. Now, Baker McKenzie has partnered with the World Economic Forum uh, Center in San Francisco, so it's the Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution, for a number of years and works closely with the international organizations it coordinates to address global, regional, and industry issues, all in the spirit of good global citizenship. And as part of this, the firm is able to send a fellow um, every six months, and I decided to apply for this opportunity and was fortunate to be, be selected. Now, of course, I see that some of your research, I mentioned the central bank um, systems and crypto um, settlement systems as well, but I note also that you've done some research on battery electrical vehicle regulations um, in, in your practice. I mean, so it's certainly, I mean, this is very much the fourth industrial revolution, how the digital landscape is changing, but also how we need to tighten up on those regulations, which are a little bit behind the curve on things like this. Absolutely. I think the one thing that I've noticed as well as being part of the World Economic Forum ecosystem is the difference in approaches that many countries have been taking and the importance of international coordination, um, and especially in the area of emerging technologies because of the speed at which these things come about um, and how different they're implemented in different jurisdictions. The benefit of being part of coordinated ecosystems really gives you an inside lane as to what the, let's call it the meta issues are across all these different types of emerging technologies. Maybe give us a snapshot of your experience over there in San Francisco and like the key things that, that really struck you as, as being really topical right now. Well, I would say that um, from my perspective, um, and especially over the course of 2020 to 2021, digital currency has been the one area that has just blown up completely. Um, we have over 85 countries in the world which are exploring the feasibility of issuing a central bank digital currency. And that's a huge proportion. I mean, it's moving towards 90% of central banks around the world. Sure. So I would definitely say that digital currency is one area where, um, you know, in terms of the 4IR, it's accelerating quite quickly. 
The other areas such as precision medicine, um, and, and especially with mRNA-type uh, vaccines that came out of COVID, is another area where I, I realized that biotechnology is advancing and is in a great area for uh, a lot of investment from various companies and governments in terms of their time. Um, so, so that's another area I'd say is also burgeoning quite, quite big, again, as a result of the investment coming out of 2020's pandemic. But the million-dollar question is, is Africa ready for 4IR? So this is difficult to answer because um, Africa is in various, various degrees of readiness. Um, I tend to use the World Economics Forum's readiness diagnostic model framework, which was created as uh, a way to assess whether a country is ready for the 4IR. And the best way they describe it is the ability of a country to capitalize on future production opportunities mitigate risks and challenges, and be resilient and agile in responding to unknown future shocks. That's what readiness would be to me in respect of or in the face of 4IR. Um, Unfortunately, Africa, and specifically countries like South Africa, which I would almost see as the forefront, are still nascent in their readiness. They still have a long way to go before they actually can be considered to be ready for the, the 4IR. And then how will 4IR and we could say digitalization more broadly, you know, this entire ecosystem change things in Africa and accelerate change? Well, I think one of the major shifts will be the shift into a knowledge economy. Um, like this could have a negative story or a good story, depending on how this gets implemented. The good story for me is the ability to utilize 4IR technology such as blockchain and trade or precision medicine to uplift communities and bridge the wealth divide. The negative outcome is obviously as tech advances, only those who have access to and digital literacy um, benefit from it, and this then increases the divide. A lot of money and effort is needed right now in education, skills development, particularly in maths and science, to develop a workforce of the future able to withstand the labor shifts that will come with the with the 4IR. Mm. I just saw some research also recommending that pension funds asset managers start looking at crypto, you know, as part of their currencies, creating the stability. And I see you also working here on what's called price stabilized cryptocurrencies or stable coins. Um, is, is Africa, uh, you know, on track to start um, applying that type of thing? Because I like the word stable, right? And stabilized. I think that's important. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the areas where um, out of the research that I, I, I was also looking into at the, um, the Center for the Industrial Revolution is, um, the, the reality is the stable part of stable coins needs a lot of interrogation. Different organizations have been using different methods to stabilize, you know, for example, backing it with um, uh, government bonds, backing it with reserves. Um, there, there are a variety of different forms of, of creating stability. So I think we need to standardize what we mean by stability and what we mean by backing so that consumers who use products um, that are based on stable coins understand what's the difference from one product to the other. Um, in respect of what you mentioned about pension funds investing in crypto, I think we are a long way from that mm. because um, pension funds are institutional investors. And one of the key things that they are becoming more alive to is ESG compliance and governance. And the one big problem that hasn't yet been solved and needs to be solved in the crypto world is the use of energy and the efficient use of energy and how that impacts the environment and whether or not um, that needs to be reported at a governance level for a lot of the organizations. You've mentioned regulatory gaps, of course, as, as a bit of a challenge. Uh, I see there's some progress, obviously, and you're part of that progress because you're going to feed a lot of this back in, uh, which is important. But when it comes to consumer protection and privacy, um, we have got Papier, for instance, uh, which will apply. Um, some steps in the right direction there. 
I think absolutely. Um, one thing that Papia does give us in time is adequacy in terms of the GDPR and the whole European ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And the great benefit for that is it creates pathways for data sharing between different countries that are compliant and protect users' fundamental rights. The more of that kind of coordinated approach we have between governments, the more multi-jurisdictional products can be developed. Um, and that just opens the door for newer forms of, of payment systems, um, new transactional abilities, and, and anything that's based in, in sort of data. Um, the same thing also applies from a consumer protection perspective. Um, South Africa, when it comes to a lot of the regulatory approach we're taking towards crypto- cryptocurrency, is taking a leaf out of the, the recommendations by the Financial Action ta- Task Force when it comes to anti-money laundering, for example. And the benefit of that is, again, the more harmonized we are, the more part of the ecosystem we, uh, we are, and the easier it is for us to deploy technology and innovations invented abroad into African economies. Now, the elephant in the room, you knew this was going to come up, is scams. Of course, mirror trading is the one that, that jumps out at you, you know, talk of, I don't know, like close to a billion or something. I don't know, the numbers are up for debate. But a lot of money seems to have been lost. These guys went missing or missing in action. Um, hard to clamp down and recover when these losses happen. So how can we begin to close these compliance gaps? And I think the important question is improve trust. Absolutely. Um, I think we, we have to bear in mind, and this is you know something you cannot ignore, cryptocurrencies are risky. To me, that has been accepted and understood by regulators, and, and many regulators have said that in, in no uncertain terms, that to invest in, in, in cryptocurrencies means you are adopting a sense of risk. Within these kind of examples, I think the one thing is we do need better rules and requirements for the custodial holding of crypto assets, um, which are indeed on their way. You know, there's, there's movements by, by our own authorities in South Africa to develop better regulations about things like custodial holdership of, of cryptocurrencies. So until such a time as this has actually been implemented and these protections are in place, I think we, we have to remember that this remains a ris- risky space in any sort of investment. Quite a bit of demand for legal advice, though, in, in this regard, I'm sure, when, with, from investors looking for opportunities. Definitely. This has shifted in its nature over time. Right now, I feel that, at least in, in terms of cryptocurrencies, most of the African focuses on tax and exchange control. Mm. Um, and in terms of you know other forms of digital currencies, such as stable coins, the focus is more on settlement system licensing and the rules in respect of the stable coin space. So um, from my perspective, I think a lot of it is trying to get a level of certainty across jurisdictions and, and get a sense of how is this place different from where I've created my innovation and what initial investment would I need to make in the, in the view of future compliance. The more certain regulators can make that roadmap, the better they would be able to attract um, foreign investment. Well, Ashlyn, thanks uh, very much for sharing your insights fresh from San Francisco, being at the hub of you know techno- technology and innovation right there. Um, fabulous. I think um, an exciting future definitely awaits. But, of course, closing that gap, regulatory gap and the compliance gaps that exist and rebuilding that trust, I think, will be critical. But then I think we'll be off to the races and Africa has this opportunity to actually accelerate uh, uh, ahead of all the others because we don't have as many legacy issues. And I think it's, it's really going to be an interesting interesting time as soon as we get the legislation and the compliance landscape in place. So thanks very much. It's been great chatting to you. Thank you very much, Evan. Appreciate it.